Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a majorly good guest, a hugely awesome person, kind of the the Doogie Hauser MD of the media world, Jake Fogelness of Squirt TV fame, of Difficult People fame currently, of all sorts of projects, you know, Wet Hot American Summer, uh, what, you know, so much stuff. So, so very much stuff to get to in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can send me an email. You can find me on various forms of social media, at left for Damien. If you use Facebook, go over to Facebook.com and send a Facebook message to Turned Out of Punk. I think it's Facebook.com slash Turned Out of Punk. Uh, it's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan Abraham for all the hard work you've done in saving this podcast. More on that in a second. Uh, and if you would do not use Facebook and you want to see some of the cool stuff that gets sent to the show that we post up on the Facebook page, you can head over to uh, com. We have a Tumblr page as well, and we put all that stuff up there. Uh, if you want to find some of the things that I've done uh, recently, you can go over to youtube.com and look up Vice Canadian Cannabis or Vice Most Violent Wrestling. And you will see some of the projects I've been working on. The last one, the latter Most Violent Wrestling project, is Begat, what I'm working on currently, which is the reason this show has been so erratic in its scheduling as of late, which is a wrestling project which will be coming out in the in the near future. More on that as we get closer to it, but believe me, it's it's awesome. <laughs> oh my god, it's awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, more on that in the future, I promise you. Uh, but, and I think that's it for the plugs. No, and then finally, uh, the band I play in, Fucked Up. If you want information on them, go over to fuckedup.cc. We have a brand new record that came out on Third Man, a live session we got to record at Third Man Records down there in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it's a... It was truly one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in a band, getting to do that, and uh, I had a lot of fun, and hopefully you like it. It's it's a, it's a psychedelic freakout of a session down there in Nashville, Tennessee. We, we were channeling some, uh, some uh, Nashville gods, you know, Coro and uh, Elvis and, uh, no, <laughs> a lot of other, you know, I guess that's Memphis with Elvis, right? That's in Graceland's in Memphis, so... Um, you know, but there, there are other, lots of natural people, you know, lots of, an amazing experience getting to record that thing. Anyway, I have, uh, wandered down a weird wormhole because I'm exhausted. I'm recording this at like really early in the morning, hopefully before the kids get up. I got to go down there and make French toast in a minute because, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of juggling going on right now in the life of old Damien Abraham, a lot of juggling, but that couldn't stop me from bringing you another amazing podcast this week on the show my friend your friend the great great jake fogelness is on the show jake is someone who i've you know been aware of for years and years and years and years and years and years uh as a kid uh he was a kid who got a show on mtv on the strength of a public access show that he had and he has gone on to have an amazing career in comedy writing, directing, uh, working on shows that I love, 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 working on projects and things that I love, love, love. 
You've worked on Billy on the Street, Difficult People. Of course, we talk about Wet Hot American Summer. We talk. We can go through his IMDb, and that would be a whole other episode. But yeah, someone who has had a fascinating life. Believe me, I had no idea. You are in for a good one. So I'm not going to blather on anymore because I got that French toast to make, remember? So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Jake Fogelness on. Actually, shit, one more thing I should say. I owe a huge debt and thank you to my friend Simon Ennis. He's come up on the show a lot before, but this is someone who a lot of the stuff I'm talking about, I would have no idea about without him, someone I got in a punk with, but this was someone who exposed me to John Waters, exposed me to a lot of the film stuff that I'm talking about here, exposed me to uh, just a lot of stuff. Um, so thank you, Simon, for doing that, man, because, you know, you dragged me kicking and screaming into some of this stuff, and I only started to appreciate it in more modern times in some cases. So anyway, thank you, Simon, for that. So now... Everyone, please sit back, relax, and enjoy Jake Fogelnist on Turned Out a Punk. Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, man. Well, as I was just telling you off air, I'm a big fan of yours, like, for a variety of reasons. But, like, one thing that, that, to me, sets you in the pantheon of gods is you took you were part of one of the greatest films of all time, Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, that, that, well, thank you. First of all, I'm a fan of yours. Well, uh, I appreciate uh, that. A, a, a huge fan, so I'm uh, honored to uh, to talk to you. Uh, and uh, but yes, I, I I'm in the film Wet Hot American Summer for for just a few seconds. That's Most all that matters. Was- that's all that matters, my friend. Like, believe me. Also, like, not to diminish any of your other work and all the stuff you did, like living out every teenager's wildest fantasies, which we'll get to, and like all that stuff. But I think, like, you know, that to me is is like. Uh, oh, oh, I'm I'm incredibly proud of it, and and then you know I w- was able to then go on and uh, as a grown up write for exactly. the, the you know the Netflix uh, Wet Hot American Summer, the first season of it, first day of camp was you know was amazing. It amazing, was you know. Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine. Totally surreal experience. (laughs) Well, I kind of want to dive into all that later on because I am a big fan of the 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 uh, Netflix series as well. But like, we're not probably going to get to any of that shit because let's be honest, it's not a punk. Uh, Yes, it's going to (laughs) move epically slowly, and I want to start it off the way I start them all off, which is Jake. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So. Through a roundabout way, it's because of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was uh, about seven or eight years old, um, this is probably um, – I was born in 79. So this is probably 87. Um, I asked my father to take me to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And and there was just something about it that I didn't know what it, what, what it was. I gravitated towards a poster. Mm-hmm. Um, out, outside of the uh, A Street Playhouse in New York City. And I was just like, what's that? I want to do that. And my, <laughs> and my dad was kind of like, well, that starts at midnight. And it's a little, and I'm like, I want to do that. that that's something I want to do. And you know, t- to my dad's um, either incredible credit or t- terrible judgment, he's like, <laughs> okay. And you have to understand, um, in 1987, you know, Rocky Horror was still kind of a happening thing in the A Street Playhouse. Like, 
you would hear the the sound of like metal hitting the floor and like maybe a balloon deflating and that's because people were doing whippets in the theater <laughs> everything smelled like pot it was you know it was like you know now when you when, when i think about going to see rocky horror i'm like oh it's well it's a bunch of sexually confused teenagers and they might be giants t-shirts this was uh, not that there's anything wrong with they might be giants. I'm a huge fan. Well, <laughs> I, obviously, and, and I've, I just picked up the uh, first project, the Mundanes, by the members of the They Might Be Giants, which is an incredible new wave single. So yeah, I'm a I don't fan even as well. know that. I got to hear that. That must be incredible. I know. I didn't um, even know about it too. I just picked it up. But anyway, go back on. I didn't mean to. So, <laughs> to yeah, no, no, no. So, so, so through. So I fell in love with Rocky Horror. Like I just yeah. said, this is amazing. Yeah. And then um, obviously, you become a Tim Curry fan. Mm-hmm. Through Rocky Horror, and that's where I found the film uh, Times Square when I was about eight or nine years old. And um, the movie Times Square is really interesting in that um, Robert Sigwood had RSO Records, um, and Saturday Night they had they had produced Saturday Night Fever, and um, Saturday Night Fever was sort of this you know uh, gripping drama film that's incredible starring John Travolta Mm -hmm. that sold a hell of a lot of disco records, you know, really the, you know, you know, millions of them. So the, the guys at RSO records were like, what if we did the same thing, but for punk and new wave (laughs) music and they made this film Times square, which is, um, actually one of my favorite, uh, movies of all time, but on the soundtrack to Times square was, um, I want to be sedated by the by the Ramones, um, and it's featured pretty pretty heavily in the movie. Um, you know, uh, Susie Quattro, The Pretenders, um, you know, Talking Heads, uh, it, it, you know, and it was this incredible soundtrack record. So that's where I first heard the Ramones, mm-hmm. and um, I, you know, from that one song. In that movie, and it's used pretty brilliantly in the movie, um, I, I said, well, I need to I, – I, I, this speaks to my, to my brain. This speaks to my heart. This is what I think mu- all music should sound like. <laughs> and, and, you know, subsequently got sort of every Ramones record. But, you know, if – you know, my first introduction to, to punk is from a soundtrack album and a great one, Times Square. Well, you can't bury the lead on that as you bring up a Canadian director on a Canadian podcast. Uh, um, Alan Moyle, absolutely, right? Alan Moyle, one of our, one of our, uh, I don't know, like our, our great exports turned having to return, kind of rejected by Hollywood following the Empire Records fiasco, but which and should not be rejected. And I, mm-hmm. I, um, I've shown Times Square like out out here in Los Angeles at at Cine Family, and I, I, you know, found him on Facebook and wrote him a note and and like. I, I, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of his work because he also did Pump Up the Valium, which was an equally influential film to me. Yeah. Um, the guy really and and Empire Records, which is a lot of fun. It's a very yep. fun. Like the guy really understood how to do a teen movie and and the angst of teenagers and the connection between teens and punk rock or you know sort of alter you know alternative like the Pump Up the Valium soundtrack is incredible. Like Alan Moyle is. Um, great. I, I, I just think he's one of the best. Oh, yeah, the Descendants are on that, too. Like, the Pump of the Volume soundtrack. Of course, yes. And, and Empire Records soundtrack, like, you know, for, for its time, like, it's got, like, Edwin Collins. It gave Edwin Collins from Orange Juice a right. hit. 
That's right. Yeah. And, and I, I completely forgot. So pump up the volume was my introduction to the descent to the descendants, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, Dirkner schnitzel. Yeah. And you know, uh, you know, that, that, so I, thank you, Alan Moyle yeah. for, you know, setting me on a course. And I, he, yeah. And in the story with Times Square, it's, you know, it's sort of heartbreaking. It was, um, you know, this was, pro- it was produced, you know, by Robert Stigwood and it was his first feature and, you know, it, it, it sort of got taken away from him mm-hmm. in the editing room. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what remains is still an incredible movie. Uh, but, um, you know, you, you can, there's a, there's a director's commentary track that he did, uh, I guess in like 2000, the DVD's out of print now. They charge like 100 bucks for it on eBay. But it was like an he, Anchor Bay one, right? I think. It, yes, exactly. It's yeah. an Anchor Bay one. But uh, you can get them. You can still get them on eBay and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're just expensive. Um, but that has you know the great uh, commentary track with Alan Moyle and Robin Johnson, who you know just also. Her, her, she was incredible in 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 Times Square, and you know, I guess she was signed to this like two year exclusive deal to Robert Stigwood, and like it screwed her, it screwed her up, it screwed yeah. her up because the movie wasn't successful. Um, um, but you know, I I found on eBay for thirty dollars the other day. I was so excited, a Times Square T shirt. With like the RSO films, like, you know, it was that, but yes, that long story short, that was my introduction, uh, to, 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 to the Ramones, which is, I think, you know, my introduction to punk and then you, from there, you know, everything else. Absolutely. So I guess, yeah, where do you go? You're obviously crazy young to be kind of getting into this stuff. So where do you kind of go from there? Um, what was like kind of the next sort of records? Were you buying music at the time? Yeah, absolutely. I was absolutely buying music. Um, um, I think that, you know, that those sort of seeds were planted when I was like eight or nine. And then probably when, um, I became, uh, there was night flight, which Mm -hmm. I used to watch Mm -hmm. on the USA network. It was, you know, it was the, the best. And there's a, and I, I love now there is an Apple TV night flight channel that you can subscribe to. It's like three bucks a month and it's just old episodes of night flight. And then a bunch of, you know, other content that they have. But I've, I just sit in my house now and I watch these (laughs) and it was, you know, it was, you know, it was cooler than MTV. So night flight. So, you know, so I have this vague memory of seeing ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains on night flight, very vague, but really when I became, they showed that on night flight. Did they? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Is that the only place it was screened type thing? It's, um, it's been, it was screened way back when I mean, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, what had happened was, you know, they had, I mean, and this, we could, I've talked extensively about this this movie and the thing, the credit that I am, you know, most proud of, forget all the TV or whatever that I've done, um, is, is the project assistance, Jake Fogelness credit inside the ladies and gentlemen, fabulous Danes DVD, because (laughs) for years it wasn't out. Um, We had bootlegs at the video stores I worked at. Exactly. Yeah. They played it, um, at the film form, Mm -hmm. um, for a couple of weeks, like, you know, Lou Adler turned in this movie, you know, two years after they had shot it. Um, and Paramount didn't know what to do with it. So, you know, it went to some art houses and then it ended up on cable and night flight was, was really one of the places where it was shown. But when I became a teenager, um, Somewhere along along the way, probably when I was about 13 or 14, um, I realized that Devo were more than just Whip It. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And I, I, I literally don't, I think it was through the we're all Devo video compilation. Maybe I'd rented that or, uh, bought a copy of it. I was very lucky that I, um, I'm originally from Philadelphia. Um, my dad moved to New York city in like 1985. My mother, um, and I moved soon after, but we had great video. We had TLA video, um, in Philadelphia, which was the great video store. There was also one in New York. It actually took over the A Street Playhouse where they used to show <laughs> Rocky Horror. It became TLA Video. So so that was, you know, like, so at some point I must have rented We Were All Devo. And I saw all of, you know, these incredible music videos that Jerry Casal directed. Yeah. And that was like, you know, at, at that point, you know, um, my brain was completely wired. It was, it was Ramones, Devo, you know, these are still my favorite bands uh, of all time. And, um, and then I got very, very lucky and that I went to, um, uh, high school in New York city. And, um, I had, I went to this place, Columbia prep. Um, and I be immediately became very aware of class. Um, and that, uh, Oh, I'm the poorest kid at this rich private school. <laughs> My parents live downtown. Uh, all these kids live on the Upper West Side. And the only person that I was really able to befriend was uh, a, a kid named Ed Martin, who I still talk with, you know, on Facebook and stuff. And Ed was a punk. And he was a punk in New York City in the 90s, going to see the casualties and stuff. And, you know, my, you know, it was just like, I was friends with the one punk kid at this school. <laughs> and he was like, hey, come over. I've got the great rock and roll swindle on Laserdisc. And we're, and you know, and we were off to the races. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, like, were you, um, funny you bring up that Devo compilation, because I think that's where I kind of also had the awakening. I, they would show, we were lucky here. We didn't have night flight in Canada. But we had much music, which yes. at that point was showing great stuff. Um, Absolutely. And Absolutely. they would, and they would show, yeah, those Devo videos. And so, but yeah, that's where I kind of got the first sense that this is something more than just a new wave band. This is like something really subversive. As a I, kid. I, I've talked to my friend, um, Kevin uh, Dorf, who's who's really funny guy. He wrote for Conan for many years. He wrote on Review, and he tells a story about walking by just a record store in Chicago and seeing a, a display for probably Duty Now for the Future, and just stopping and going, "Wait a minute, what's this? I need to know about this." <laughs> there was, and and then it was like, and then he was in. You know, yeah. I think um, you know once you. You know, once you find Devo, if your if your brain is wired a certain way, like you're in for life. Mm -hmm. So, what was the first concert you went to? Like, like it doesn't have to be punk necessarily, but like just music wise. Ario Speedwagon and Cheap Trick <laughs> was my first concert. Um, I said it didn't have to be punk. I, yeah, and, and it, it, weirdly, it is. It is. It, you yeah. know, um, I I definitely. Um, I wonder, I, I think REO Speedwagon were headlining, weirdly. Okay. I, or, you know, I don't know who, because at, at that point, REO Speedwagon were like huge. huge. Yeah. And this would, this is long after sort of Surrender and Live at Budokan. You know what I mean? This yeah. is, so, I, so I think it's like, I certainly remember Cheap Trip, Cheap, Cheap Trick opening. I'm, God, I wonder how that must have felt. So, were you there for Cheap Trick or were you REO Speedwagon? I, 
I was there because I, because my father took me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and I don't know, I cannot remember the circumstances as to why, but we had backstage pass. My father's Whoa. not in show business. Well, my father's not in show business. He, he was a, 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 and I don't know what it was. I think it was a friend of a friend. Maybe he was friends with a friend of a concert promoter. And I remember meeting Rick Nielsen. That's awesome. And him giving me a guitar pick, and I'm a little boy. God, I wish I still had it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, but but I, you know, it was that was my first concert, and um, you know, you know, you know, and this was so that I guess this must have been 1983, 1984 or something. So I was very very young, um, and then. Around the same time, I, you know, I saw the Jackson's Victory Tour, which is another crazy story because my mother had a friend. She worked for Philadelphia Magazine, mm -hmm. and she had a friend who won tickets to see Michael Jackson Victory Tour okay. uh, off of Power 99 FM in Philadelphia, and she could not use them. And they were front row tickets. <laughs> it was like the big grand prize. So I went to see Michael Jackson front <laughs> row with my mother. You know, short, you know, probably a couple of years uh, after I, I remember seeing Ashford and Simpson on the Summer <laughs> as a Rock tour. <laughs> like I, my parents are really always cool about like, yeah. you know, taking me to concerts. I, you know, I went, um, you know, I, I, you know, I saw Bob Dylan with my dad, you know, it, and, you know, those were, you know, like the early, early concert, which is pretty good, you know? Yeah, was, no, that's amazing, Ron. Like, well, like, I guess begs the question we're like are your parents like into music it sounds like just as people yes they yeah they were into music as people they yeah. were here's here's what happened to my parents record collection um there um was a television special my, my, my parents both had records a lot mm -hmm. of records in the mm -hmm. house but there was a television special that aired once in syndication called graffiti rock uh, <laughs> yes. In 1984, you know Graffiti Rock. Well, right? Vince Ga Vincent Gallo's Vince, first yes. TV appearance. <laughs> yes, Prince Vince is in yes. it. Vincent Gallo and Debbie Mazar. Yes, is Debbie Mazar's in it too. And it was created by Michael Holman, and it's it's sampled pretty famously by the Beastie Boys on Ill Communication. Mm -hmm. It's just like you know, the, you know. Now don't try this. You, you scratch the record back and forth. Don't try this on your dad's stereo. Stereo only under hip hop supervision. All right. <laughs> Um, I ignored that warning. So I saw, <laughs> I saw this special, um, air on television. Oh, that's amazing. It must've been channel 17 in Philadelphia. And I saw graffiti rock and I immediately went and took all of the records and scratched <laughs> them up and I, and, and ruined God, probably, uh, you know, a great record collection. Yeah. You know, some of which, so what I didn't ruin, I have inherited, uh, but yeah, both of my parents had music in the house. Um, they didn't necessarily have punk music. Mm -hmm, no, you know, I, I uh, my dad did have Lou Reed though. You know, I definitely um, remember. You know, even before, I think you know after I'd heard you know Walk on the Wild Side, my dad was like, "Oh, you got to hear, you got to hear more Lou Reed. Lou Reed's great." You know, um, you know, so I de so I definitely. You know, he also had Tom Waits and, and stuff like that. And my mom had, you know, Carol King, Tapestry, uh, which is which is funny because that was produced by Lou Adler, you mm -hmm. know, who did Rocky Horror and and uh, and and directed Fabulous Stains. So, you know, they had they had. Yeah, there was, you know, they were 60s kids, all the Beatles records. You know, there were records in the house. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess growing up in, you know, Philadelphia even, but then 
New York after a certain point, like, especially at that point, like, uh, you know, I've seen it kind of immortalized, I guess, in the movie Kids and kind of like, you know, just zine culture that time. But it seems like, a, and, and now that movie Born Losers, I think it's called, about the New York art scene around that time period. But, uh, it, oh, it's great. It's a fantastic. I think it was on, it was on Netflix for a while. But, uh, yeah, I missed that. Yeah. But yeah, no, I definitely remember I saw the movie Kids uh, opening night at the Angelica Film Center and the cast of the movie were waiting outside for just hanging out, uh, waiting for people to talk to them. I remember I remember being in front of because I was, you know, there that, that age at yeah, the time. And I remember yeah. being in in front of the Supreme store on Lafayette Street and, you know, going up to the kid who played Casper, uh, Justin Pierce, who, you know, he's since passed away. But like I remember being like, hey, man, you're 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 good in that movie. And he was just meant, yo, man, I fucking body slam kids like you. And I was like, all right, I got it. Got it. <laughs> So, so as much as I was around, you know, that, that scene of kids, you know what I mean? And, and, and probably fit in more than they would know. I was not, you know what I mean? No. Like, you know, obviously like what was funny about that was, you know, at that time too, when I was 15, you know, I'd start, I'd started doing this public access show, mm-hmm. um, that, um, you know, air, I, I lived on, on Broom and Bowery, uh, with my mom in New York city. And um, started doing this public access show, um, which was called Squirt TV, and it aired Sunday nights at 12.30 a.m. on Manhattan Public Access Channel 16. And this was at a time where you would still flick around the dials. Um, So 120 Minutes was on MTV at the time, uh, and that was Channel 20. So I think people would flick through the dials – you know, get to channel 16, see a Devo music video. And then this 15 year old boy would pop up like, Hey, what's up here? Let me talk to you about. So it became sort of this cult phenomenon. But what was interesting about that neighborhood that I lived in Broom Bowery was like, there was this store liquid sky, which was like a rave culture store. And Chloe seven, worked in there. The ex girl store would soon be across the street. Kim and Thurston were, you know, living on, um, uh, on Lafayette and, and, and they all like, you know, I just remember getting a call like from Thurston, like, Hey, you know, we're watching your show right now. Uh, you know, what's up? (laughs) You know, like it was like, I, I accidentally, you know, found myself (laughs) smack dab in the middle of, you know, sort of nineties, New York, uh, you know, at that point, probably more indie rock, you know, but born out of, out of punk. Oh, definitely connected. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Well, it's funny because, like, I want to talk to you about that because, like, also New York public access at, like, is just sort of legendary, like, and and I think, how did you get into that world? Because I think that, for me, as a kid, was the fantasy of being you and, like, being like, okay, I'm going to do my public access show and then it's going to get discovered and, like, I'm going to be able to bring my brand of culture to the masses, you know, which... Man. Well, I mean, what, what, what had happened was, like, you know, we... My, Cable at my mom's house in Philadelphia was a box mm-hmm. and you had it, it was like regular TV and then you would hit a switch and you had HBO and that was cable. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point in New York City, like where my dad moved in 85, he got Manhattan cable and this was like uh, 30 channels and, um, you know, so it was MTV and, 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 and everything. But what I immediately clocked into was the public access channels. And I, and I realized, wait a minute, they will give any like lunatic a television show if they just fill out the paperwork. So that stuck in my head from, you know, when I was a very little kid, I remember watching, uh, this show beyond vaudeville. 
which was just this insane talk show, uh, clips of which are on YouTube. And and they would have on, you know, Underdog Lady from Howard Stern, but she was just Suzanne Muldowney. You know, it wasn't the <laughs> Underdog Lady. Yeah. Um, or, and like brother Theodore, you know, just like, and just seeing this insane t- and just like, and also there was channel J and Al Goldstein and midnight blue. It just yeah. was like, it couldn't have been more, you know, and Robin bird. It was just like, it was pornography. It mm-hmm. was, you know, it was just ultimate counterculture. And, um, and I, and I, and it stuck with me. So when I did finally move with my mom, I said, you know, I, 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 I was, when I got to be about 14, I was like, I, I want a public access show. And they're like, sure, whatever. They filled out paperwork, I signed a, a parental consent form. And I just started making this show out of my bedroom and, um, and it became what it became, but it was really, you know, born out of just sort of this, these seeds that were planted by like, you know, beyond vaudeville and like the, 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 the idea that like anybody could do a public access show, which I think the other thing that, that was really important to me. And I think is sort of punk adjacent was, was John waters, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. at that, at that great video store, TLA video. And, and then also Kim's video in New York, um, uh, I saw all the John Waters films. My father, I, I remember my father showing me pink flamingos and fast forwarding through certain parts of it, <laughs> which, you know, and I've said this before, but I think it really is important to state like, you know, in that movie, you know, two hippies, you know, fuck a chicken to death. And that's pretty, you know, crazy as it is, but that on fast forward, I think it might even be worse. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's true. <laughs> But, um, but John Waters, those John Waters movies were so important to me, um, because it, because it said to me, oh my God, if this guy's making a movie with his, you know, crazy friends in Baltimore that are so out there and so outrageous, um, then I could do that. It, it, you know, like if this counts as a movie, I can make a movie. And I wrote John Waters a fan letter at like eight years old and he called me. Um, and, uh, Where'd you and get was dressed. Like, how'd you fit? Like, that's amazing at eight years old to kind of like, there was, there was, I'll tell you exactly how there was a kid that I went to grammar school with. <laughs> yeah. Um, who, uh, whose uncle was a movie producer named Barry Shills. Uh, Barry Shills produced, uh, vampires kiss. He, uh, <laughs> He had worked on that movie, The Stuff. Do you remember that movie, The yeah, Stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Great movie. Were you, were you eating it or is it eating yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. So this was like, you know, like some sort of, he had some involvement with that. And he was friendly with Mink Stoll. So um, Mink, I, I gave this letter to Barry to give to Mink. It got to John. John called me. That is so and awesome. It, yeah. And, um, what's been, what's really amazing is he just did his, he, he did a, a Christmas show out here in Los Angeles and, uh, I went to, to see it and I was with Andy Richter and Sarah Thayer after, and, and afterwards we went to say hello to John Waters. And I was like, do you remember me? <laughs> and he's like, I do. You know what I mean? I have a copy of shock value that signed, you know, to Jake, one day you'll run Hollywood, John Waters. And, um, he, he, he was so, I mean, and that, that's punk before punk, yeah. you know, pink, goes and you know i mean i guess that's 1972 and female troubles 74 like you know that i I, you know aesthetic i think completely informed 
punk because they were because what he was trying to do was just literally scare hippies, you know, which I which I love. I love like that, you know, just like, no, 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 we're not hippies. We're just you know, we're trash. We're trash. We, you know, they they went to riots and protests because it was fun to get tear gassed. You know, yeah. <laughs> like well, and he also it, he like even put like uh, the locust on a Stephen Dorff uh, soundtrack. You know, like that's a a pretty punk move still. He, he's one of these guys. You know, I think there's two people on the planet who who've just never been wrong and have always been on the right side <laughs> of history. And it's Fran Lebowitz and John Waters. You know, <laughs> yeah. just like yeah. I've always agreed. There, there's no like. There's no disagreement ever. <laughs> yeah, and that in the in in his book, as you mentioned, is one of my favorite books of all time, which I think is unfortunately out of print now too. But uh, uh, shock value. Yeah, yeah it, I, I I think you can still um I think you can still get it on Amazon. It's essential. It's yeah. it's essential reading. I, and all of his books. His you know you know I was really happy they they honored him with a Writers Guild uh, of America award, like Lifetime Achievement Award this year. And, um, it was so great cause he started, you know, his speech with like, you know, I wouldn't suck your dick if I was suffocating and there were oxygen in, and there was oxygen in your balls. And then he goes, I wrote that, you know, and it's like, and here we are like, like uh. it was, you know, John Waters was just such a, you know, influential, you know, per- person to me, mm-hmm. um, and and I think when when you've got John, you know, Waters films in your eyeballs and Rocky Hart in your eyeballs, you're you know, of course, the kid you're going to gravitate to at school is going to be the, the guy, in a, you know, in a shitty punk band that's playing at the Continental. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it was great. It was great. That's awesome. Well, that's, I think that's the thing is like the John Waters movies are like. You know, like I like you say, like punk before punk, but also you know that's like that those weird like like Rocky Horror Picture Show, like those weird like outcroppings that you see of like alternative culture that are accessible when you're when you're younger. Yes, absolutely, and and to me, Rocky Horror is you know that's like straight in the center of the glam, you know, mm-hmm. movement, um, and 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 that stuff was also like. You know, re- really, as you know, as I got you know sort of older, became sort of seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. You know, it it starts to you know I start to you know you know check out Brian Eno and Ro- Roxy Music. I very distinctly remember Russell Simmons from the John Spencer Blues Explosion for my birthday one year, just giving me some records, and and they were um, they were the Big Star record, uh, uh, Exile on Main Street. And a copy of Eno's Here Come the Warm Jets. And, like, I've been so lucky in my life oh. to have. Yeah, I mean, like, three of the, like, I still have them, too. Like, they're, like, they're three records that you need to hear at that age, you know, yeah. of, of just, like, you know. And, and you know, I was just, like, I've, I've just been so lucky in my life to just have these great, you know. First of all, I, you know, I, I have an, a brain and an appetite for, you know, consuming culture in a certain way. And it, and it was pre-internet, like, you know, where it was just like, you would have to like track things down at, at a record store and, and, um, you know, I, you know, trying to find a copy of like, you, you know, um, rocket to Russia or whatever at strawberries <laughs> <laughs> on Wall Street was diff. It was difficult. You know what I mean? It was difficult. And, yeah. you know, but I, you know, but I, I also, 
And it's crazy to me how it's changed. I've and I've done like the Google Maps where you just start driving down the the streets um, on South Street in Philadelphia. When I was a kid, there was Zipperhead, you know, you know, um, you know, which was the punk, the great punk store. Yeah. On South Street, it's it's mentioned in the the Dead Milkmen's you know punk rock girl. It's the first line of the song and like and the Dead Milkmen. I have to give credit to my um, uh, eighth grade girlfriend Julia Rosenstock. Uh, who said what you've never heard the the dead milkman like you know and and I went out and bought uh, a copy of Big Lizard in my backyard and, and that is that was that was just that was my eighth grade girlfriend uh, Julia Rosenstock she's like <laughs> responsible for that yeah good taste yeah she's great in eighth grade um, have you ever heard uh, Psychic Youth Russell Simmons first band no it's I've never awesome it's really oh. cool. Uh, I, I mean, it was that was such a great time too in the in in the '90s. Just like um, Matador, Ma- Matador used to have this newsletter that they would put out, um, and I remember being very flattered at one point. And they were like, "Who should re- who should replace uh, Gerard as like uh, the president of Matador?" And they had this poll, and one and it was like a joke poll, but one of the options was Jake from Squirt TV. <laughs> I wonder if I still have that newsletter somewhere. I forget what it was, you know, what, I don't know what it was the thing that they mailed out with like their catalog or whatever. But I remember going to like the old Matador office and, uh, you know, when I was doing the public access show and they're like, here's a bunch of records. And that was like the blues explosion, crooked rain, crooked rain by pavement. You know, it was like, I was real lucky. Yeah. I was really lucky. Well, I think that, that period of New York too is just so it's like, it, you know, it's so awesome because you have, um, you know, like the, 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 you still have that kind of like grit of eighties gods of times square, New York. Yes. But yeah. with, with this kind of like emerging nineties art culture, like culture vultures, sonic youth kind of thing. I don't know. Like I'm just viewing it from across the border here in New York junior well, training wheels. Well, on. well, straight up. No, like in the nineties in New York city, it was like, you really couldn't go past Avenue A. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and you still, you absolutely could buy dope in the, uh, in the East Village still, mm-hmm. you know, and now Avenue, you know, Avenue C, <laughs> it's like, you, you know, they, I, I don't know that I could afford to live there. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. Like it, it's, it's, it's a completely, it's just a complete, it was the end of, you know, and, and that's the thing about New York city is that it's always changing and it's always evolving and there's still, you know, great, you know, punk and DIY stuff and, you know, all, you know, but it's more, it's not on the Island of Manhattan really. Yeah. It's, it's in, it's in Brooklyn and Queens and other places. And, you know, because now Manhattan is, you know, just, finance people and everything. Um, and you know, I feel very fortunate to have grown up in the time that I did, you know, sort of born in 79. So I did, you know, did get to see New York city in the eighties. Um, and, and I do remember times square, the actual times square is being really scary and Mm -hmm. kind of disgusting. Um, you know, I obviously was too young to go into any of the theaters. (laughs) Um, uh, but, but there was an energy around, you know, around that. And then, you know, by the time I was, you know, 15 in, in, in New York city and it was the nineties, you know, that it was, it was, it wasn't, it all wasn't fixed yet. It, it all wasn't fixed yet. It was still, you know, you know, it was still, tr- there was still trouble. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was, it, you know, it just feels like, you know, and, and I guess like, you know, like you bring up that matador thing, like that to me is like. You know, and this is coming from a Matador art, artist, not in this period, but that to me is the perfect period of Matador too. Like you mentioned those records, like talk about a storied run of albums coming out from one label. 
It was crazy. And, the, you know, and the like um, uh, Clay Tarver, who um, is now a, a, a producer writer on Silicon Valley, a co-EP there, he um, he directed the What's Up Matador, you know, oh, uh, yeah. video. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it's really interesting. Like, you know, and and um, and was in Chavez. You know what I mean? Oh, he was <laughs> like, in Chavez, too. Clay was. In, yeah. Oh. You know. Clay was in Chavez and stuff. He was my neighbor until very recently. He just moved, but we we lived uh, across the hall from each other in in Los Angeles. But um, I hadn't seen him in years, and like, you know, like it was yeah, it was a really, it was you know, it, it was just an interesting, it was an interesting time to be a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and and that there were you know still and it was very funny to me. I remember when other music, um, the music store, which is now since closed. I remember when that opened. It was across the street from Tower Records, and I was like, "That's crazy." Or who would open up a <laughs> record store in, next to Tower Records? And man, did other music last so many years longer than Tower Records did? Yeah, rest <laughs> in know? peace, though. But yeah, you're right. Both important stores. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it was a time where you know, like you, you, you know, I remember you know going into you know, other music and they were playing Jacques Dutronc on the, uh, you know, stereo and go, having to go up to the, it's not, there's nothing worse than having to go up. And they love it when you do, when you have to go up to the clerk and go, Hey, what's this? And, um, to, to the credit, other music like, Oh, this was Jacques, it's Jacques Dutronc. It's right over there. And I was like, Oh, cool. Thanks. And you just buy it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, the, I, I, to have that culture, I mean, like, I wouldn't trade it for now where I'm able to access everything at once. Like it's, it's great. I, you know, I don't know, know if it's great monetarily. Uh, <laughs> obviously I have so many friends now that are in real big bands that have jobs, you know what yep, I mean? Like, yeah. like just have jobs, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's just like, wait a minute. Like I played you on the radio. It's like, yeah, because you know, you, the option is to tour or die at mm-hmm. this, you know, at this point. But um, so, you know, I, I love the access to the internet, but I do, I am very, ha- you know, there is something about having to dig for stuff that was, um, that was fun, you know, and that, and that was all built out of that great sort of like, I think it's in the American hardcore documentary where you have Ian McKay sort of, you know, talk about how they used to tour and how they just did, you know, set, set up that circuit themselves. Yep, yep. Like, you know, I, I see sort of, you know. Like I think that extended to you. T- you mentioned zines. There was um, a great store called See Here um, on uh, on it, it moved to St. Mark's Place, but it was in the East Village. And I remember going there and buying zines like Murder Can Be Fun <laughs> um, and the research books and uh, For Better For Worse, Answer Me, like yeah. all that stuff. You know, like all of that stuff, and you know the church of the subgenius. You're gonna find through Devo, just like all of just that was the culture that I, you know, immersed myself in. Well, it's funny because John Waters wrote in your book like one day you're gonna run Hollywood, but it's like it's funny because like you think about Answer Me and like Sarush from Vice has been on this podcast and he talked yeah. about how like. Answer Me was like a an in early influence on them as the magazine, and it's like, and all the in murder can be fun, and all these sorts of like zines from that kind of ilk, and like, and you know, like you're you're you you're writing for like big shows now on all these places, and like, you know, it's kind of like all the the subversive culture of that '90s period almost did take over everything. 
I had lunch with a friend, though, recently, uh, another writer, and I just said, hey, um, you, you know, who does does what I, I do? And I, yeah. I said to her, I said to her, hey, can I ask you a question? Is it sometimes hard to be the only person in the room who really understands punk culture? And she was like, yes. <laughs> and we had this sort of like, you know, bonding moment. Like, I am like, you know, and I imagine like. You know, if I'm sitting in a room with uh, with Sharpling, we both work on difficult people, just not at the same time. Yeah. I like, you know, Sharpling's going to have it, uh, you know, ten times more than than I, I am. But like, you know, like it's tough. It's tough. You know what I mean? It 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 it, it has permeated, but there's like, you know, the stuff that we're talking about is like uh, is is pretty. It's, it's pretty deeper cut. Yeah. Deeper deeper stuff than is <laughs> probably coming up in in you know, and and having to you know sort of. Um, explain it or translate it, I think is, um, is fun for me. You know what I mean? Like, here's why I'm, I'm, you know, sort of pitching this or, um, you know, suggesting this is because of this, you know, and, um, I've been, you know, I'm good at that. Luckily people have been receptive. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, especially on the, on the stuff that I've been working on recently, but like, um, really everything I've worked on, you know, people have understanding of it. And I, well, I think it's because it gives you a greater understanding of like just pop culture, like reference points and signposts and like where stuff come from. Like, you know, we all like, you know, Film Threat Magazine was like the reason people knew yes. about Hated and, and, and Todd before The Hangovers. Of course. <laughs> right. Yes. I, that's so important that people know that the guy who made The Hangover movies, <laughs> Road Trip and you know what I mean? Yeah. Like directed Hated, the Gigi Allen <laughs> duck, you know, you know. You know, the movie that starts with, I hate you motherfuckers, you know what I mean? Like it's, um, and you know, the, with the late Kevin Allen, um, yep. um peace. but he passed on, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yes, that, you know, that was his, you know, NYU student film. And like, I, you know, I, I, I was you know, I remember getting like the VHS tapes of like those last Gigi Allen shows and stuff like, <laughs> yeah. and, ju- and, and like, bu- and, and then at the same time buying like that, th- there was this VHS culture too. It's like, I don't know who it was that gave me a copy of heavy metal parking lot, but I got it. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I truly don't remember. I was trying, cause I showed it to somebody for the first time the other day. And that's the greatest thing ever. If you if somebody's never seen heavy metal parking lot, uh, showing it to them for the first time, uh, which I just, which I just pulled it up on YouTube, you know, like, yep. but it used to be like, you know, I don't know who gave me a copy of it, but it just showed up one day. And, um, and I definitely, you know, I never connected to, um, you know, metal, you know, mm-hmm. now I can appreciate the, the full decline of Western civilization trilogy. <laughs> um, and I do think that the, the decline of Western civilization part two, and I've had, and I've had talks with John Worcester about this too, like is maybe one of the funniest movies ever made and is, is brilliant. And, Absolutely. Uh, but, but I took decline one very, very seriously. And, um, and that was that was the stuff that I came to later was all the LA punk stuff. Um, and I and you know, I also think that in 1996, and this is funny because uh, it, it, uh, it is, is please kill me was published. Mm-hmm. Was it 96 or somewhere around there, 95? No, and I think, that I think was, it's the I think it's the anniversary this year, so I think it was like 96 or something. So that that became like you know, the, that became a Bible, yeah. you know what I mean? That became a Bible. And what was really funny is my father's, uh, 
um, at, at the time. Again, it's just strange. You know, it's strange because my dad is not a punk dude and he's not in the music industry, but he, he ended up meeting um, and dating for a while Legs' ex-wife, um, uh, <laughs> Legs McNeil's ex-wife. So one day I get a call from my dad. He's like, oh, I'm over at um, uh, my friend uh, with, with uh, Jillian uh, McCain and Legs McNeil. And I said, excuse me? You're, you're where? You're where? Where, where? Right now? I said, I'm coming over. And, um, and then meeting, Le- and then, you know, that's how I met legs and, uh, you know, legs and I, you know, chat from time to time. And, you know, he, you know, he was, you know, he's, he's legs McNeil, yeah. you know, what, what, you know, I, I had one Thanksgiving with him at Jillian's house with, uh, my dad and, and, and legs and, uh, and Danny Fields was there and it was like, oh, let's just ask Danny Fields a bunch of questions, you know, like it was, it, you know, it, and, um, Legs when CBs was closing, taking us to that final Dead Boys show. Like, wow. I've been so goddamn lucky that, like, in my life, like, I've been able to, um, you know, meet um, these, you know, my favorite bands. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like I, my my favorite. I have a couple of Ramon stories. Um, um, I interviewed Joey. On Squirt TV for the when we were doing a pilot for MTV, I went to interview him at the Academy, okay. uh, which does not exist anymore. I, I don't even you know it was somewhere in, in uh, Midtown, and it was on that final Ramones tour. So I interviewed Joey, and then he came up to K Rock a couple times when I was working there. But the best, my best year Ramones story is that I was on, I was in a cab, um, sitting in the backseat of a cab on 11th Street and Third Avenue, and all of a sudden the cab door opens. And a guy gets in and goes, excuse me, can you take me to 49th Street and 7th Avenue, please? And I go, hey, I'm, hey, man, someone's in here. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. And I'm like, that's all right. See you, man. Bye, Joey. And it was Joey. <laughs> Joey Ramone just did not look, you know, I'm small, so I was probably crouched down. But it was like, it was pretty surreal yeah. that Joey Ramone hit the cab, you know, because he was around. You know, yeah. it was in the, in the 90s, you know, like he was around and like. Marky, I made a sketch with <laughs> my friend Alex uh, Scordellis, also writes on Difficult People. Just wrote a sketch and, uh, for Marky Ramon to be in, and he was like, "Do you want to direct Marky?" I was like, "Yes, whatever." <laughs> I don't, didn't even let him finish the sentence. <laughs> Did you bring a Worcester to him by any chance? Uh, no, no, you know what? I didn't. I wonder, but I wonder. I know that I've seen. Um, I feel like I've talked to Worcester about that. Yeah, I, I think they've met since then. They must have. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm sure they have. I know I've seen like a photo. Uh, you know, so Marky's really nice. Yeah, he would he would be around at Sirius too. Like, um, but um, and Dust is sick. <laughs> and I'll t- and and then like um, even like the Sex Pistols, like Steve Jones. I I made I directed a King Tough music video. Uh, I was very lucky to, 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 to do the video for headbanger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we asked Steve Jones if he would be in that through funny or die. And, um, and he said, yes. And, um, and then I ran into him like a, a couple of times and like, now it's gotten to the point where the last time I saw him, I was like, Oh, Hey Steve. And I walked away and I was just like, no, that's, that's not normal. I shouldn't be like on a, like a, <laughs> no, that's a sex pistol. I should not be like, Hey, what's up? Like, it's no big deal. That's that's Steve Jones from from the sex pistols. Keep, you know, you're not, you know what I mean? Just keep it, keep it in perspective here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, 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 I could well imagine he's someone that I've never met, but I talked to him one time. I did an interview on MTV and he was on a call for an interview. (laughs) 
And they're like, uh-huh. Damien, do you have any questions for Steve Jones? And I asked him about some like random seven inch that he played on. And I feel like, uh, I've got a, I got a great conversation in me waiting for one day that I'm going to oh, punch yeah. the shit he, out of him with. He's the, he's, he's great. Oh. I mean, he's, he's great. His book is tremendous. Amazing. Uh, great book. I uh, couldn't put it down. It was, it was just, it's just like a perfect, uh, you know, and he's a broadcaster, so mm-hmm. he just knows how to talk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's re- and he, and he's just like, he's just funny. He's a funny dude. Um, and, but the LA, yeah, the LA punk scene. And it's really sad because, you know, please kill me, which was sort of like, you know, like the Bible of, of everything, the, uh, companion LA book, we got the neutron bomb. Uh, so Brendan Mullen who ran the mask in LA, mm-hmm. he, he passed away, but then, uh, my friend Mark Spitz, um, uh, wrote that, uh, one of many things that Mark Spitz wrote. He was an incredible journalist for, for spin. And uh, he also was a playwright and he just passed away uh, very recently, like a couple of weeks ago. But he, with Brendan Mullen wrote, we got the neutron bomb, which is the LA, you know, version of, of please kill me. So that's, you know, X and the germs and the screamers and, and, um, um, that stuff I got into uh, later. I, I in I, like in the late nineties, um, I got a copy of GI or something, or, or they had reissued it. Rhino did on, it. Yeah, Rhino did yeah. like a reissue of like the Germs complete discography, mm-hmm. and um, and I really love the Germs. Yeah, I just, I, I just really loved the germs and, and had known them from decline of Western civilization. But then just like, you know, I had Don Bowles on my, uh, have you talked to Don Bowles? That's a guy who can also talk forever. Oh, absolutely. And, I've, uh, I, I, I have this uh, like as of uh, unreleased project that I did where I took him and Steve Albini to Roscoe's chicken and waffles for breakfast. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know what's why you're on the phone with me. It, you should be finishing that. I uh, believe me, it's not. It's out of my hands now. It is in other <laughs> people's hands. Uh, but uh, that sounds incredible. Yeah, um, it definitely is. A, it was an experience to remember. Do you know? This is just a a little off topic, but Don Bowles hung out with the Manson family. Like, I, well, why did that not come up in our conversation? <laughs> Didn't I forgotten? What? Of course. <laughs> Of course he did. Him and Frank discussion from the feeders hitchhiked up from Arizona to hang uh-huh. out with the Manson family in 74. Oh, my God. What, like, and like what, in 74, because they were still pretty active. At just that after point. Squeaky tried to kill. Just after Squeaky. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm pretty, uh. I'm pretty into Manson stuff. You know what I mean? Let me tell you, this is, he's got, he's, he he ends the story with, we all got scabies, but it was a great two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Me me and Julie Klausner, like, I'll just say, like, there's, um, there's a Manson uh, bus tour that you can take out here. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, it's the Helter Skelter tour. Um, it's run by this this guy Scott Michaels. He runs this company, Dearly Departed Tours. He's in, he's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, great great guy. And it's not creepy or morbid at all. And he treats it with with real respect. But but it is. I, if you don't think that I've been on that thing twice, I have been <laughs> on it. Like, um, and I think that that you know just like is 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 part of it. Like. You know, John Waters, of course, has written extensively about his friendship with, you know, Leslie Van Houten. Mm-hmm. And in the early, I mean, in multiple maniacs, 
you know, the, the, the Manson family hadn't been caught yet. While they were filming it, they make references. It's like, you know, what about Sharon Tate? Do you remember what happened that night? Because I do. And like, they were like taking credit as they're making multiple maniacs in like 1969, <laughs> taking credit for the Sharon Tate murders. And then, you know, Pink Flamingos is dedicated to, you know, like he's, he's since sort of, you know, dialed back on that. And he is written extensively about Leslie Van Hout and, and friendship. And he's, no one's been more involved in sort of prison reform than, than John Waters. Mm-hmm. But there, there is this sort of like, you know, I, I, you know, punk connection to to, to Manson and serial and serial. I mean, and, and yeah, and then there's also Axl Rose, I guess, wearing a Charles Manson T-shirt and covering, which is a bummer. But like, but like, also, yeah, I, I think you're right because like it goes back to like you know the Sonic Youth Raymond Pettibon films that they would make with like Charles Manson references all over it and like. You know, like that's where I kind of was like first, like oh Charles Manson, even more than I think Axl Rose. Yeah, I think that me, me too. Like I, I you know, you, 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 I think you just, is it just required reading in eighth grade that you read Helter Skelter, or is that just for guys <laughs> like us? Like, I, I think, you, like, I just feel like it. Just at some point, you end up reading Helter Skelter and then <laughs> yeah. watching that TV, the bad TV movie that is actually kind of great. Yeah. And, you know, but the best book about him is the is the Jeff Gwynn book. It's just called Manson. It's got a yellow cover. That is the to me now the definitive book That's on. That's the one uh, that came out two years ago, I guess. Three yeah, years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago, Julie Klausner uh, uh, talked to, to to the author. They, you know, when she was doing her podcast regularly, like, and it's incredible, like, because mm. uh, it really paints the picture of just the. It was you know just he's released into the hate Ashbury. On like the week that everybody runs out of pot, there's a pot shortage. So everybody's taking speed and just like what bad timing. People are looking for a guru and like, you know, the whole thing could have been avoided if they just gave him a record deal, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, that's the other thing that comes across in that book. I also think the other one that was great is is Ed Saunders from the Fugs Garbage People. Right. Um, God, I remember being at like Thule Coverberg's house for some reason, and I have no idea why. Just like that was like, again, like New York City 90s. And Thule had a public access show, which was just, you know, him literally put a video camera on himself. And would ju- it was just, you know, I forget what it was called, but it was just Thule Coverberg just, you know, nonstop ranting for 30 oh. minutes. And I'd watch it. And then, you know, probably through public access somehow, I ended up at Thule Coverberg's house, you know. You know, for an afternoon. Was, you know? There, was there like a like, that brings up a great question because you're like, you know, your your public access mission and, and and vibe is is different than probably a lot of other people on these station on these shows around you. Was there yeah. like a public access scene that you were kind of a part of, like in the same way that you would have a community radio station? There kind of was actually. Yeah, there were. Um, there was a there was a guy who had uh, a show called Mad Dog's House of Young Lust. Um, <laughs> okay. And it was literally just, you know, it, he – I think he worked a pretty straight job. So he put a bandana and sunglasses on to hide his identity. And um, and his show – I used to watch his show and that's what, that's what hit me to um, – uh, really hit me to the residents. Mm-hmm. First, first through Penn & Teller, uh, being a Penn & Teller fan. 
you know, I, I became aware of the residents and then through this guy, Mad Dog, who used like the residents music in his, sh- in his show. And, and I don't even remember what his show was. It was, it was, you know, but he, but then there was like all these call in shows and everybody would call each other's shows. Um, there was this guy who has since passed away who, uh, his name was, uh, Clinton Freeman. And he had this show called the weather report. And it was literally him repeating over and over again, W four, the weather report, you know, and then he would, and he was a huge Morrissey fan and, uh, you know, and he would like, and, and he would just, he would go through like the newspaper and look for any sign of the word weather. It's very, it's very art, you know, Andy Warhol film style kind of thing of like, you know, I'd like to see a reference to the weather in the New York times. And then he would show this you know, clip in New York for a fucking half hour, you know? With a phone number on the screen that he would, which was just his home phone number, and you would call up and talk to him. But he didn't get along with Mad Dog, and like it was, it was, it was. There was like um, a scene. The person who I think really embraced it is, um, and uh, is I, I was Gethard. Was Chris Gethard? Yeah. And I'm very, very much like Chris Gethard. Is like I was adjacent to like the public access scene, but I was very much doing my own thing. Yeah. So if you know, like Gethard, you know. Um, you know, like you can't, you can't help but get sucked into the, you know, it is like a community, community radio station. And, and then if you have success, boy, do people resent you? Like when Gethard first started his show, I said, watch out because you're going to do well. And there's going to be some crazy people on public access. And man, he's, he's, he's got emails that are crazy, um, that he could publish as a book, you know, of just like. You know, because it's supposed to, you know, when public access was started, it was supposed to be for the community. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't know that it was going to be Al Goldstein <laughs> screaming <laughs> at its ex-wives or like Robin Bird having strippers. All, you know, what I mean? it, yeah. it, you know, the, Gethard, the show that used to follow Gethard, he said it was just a, a guy. <laughs> it was a guy who would have women in thongs just kind of twerk. And then every once in a while he would shove a like a dollar bill and in long and smile at the camera. And that was, that was, you know, Gethard was his lead in, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, in the night, yeah, in the nineties there was, you know, that guy must've loved the Gethard bump though. When that show oh started taking God. off. Of, of course, of <laughs> course. Um, you know, it was, yeah, it was really, it was really interesting. So, but it was, I, I, you know, I very quickly, like, you know, I sort of started in that, you know, public access scene, but then, you know, when they might be giants and the beastie boys are calling, you know, you sort of shift scenes, <laughs> you kind of, you know what I mean? And then it's like, Hey, you know, come do a MTV thing, come do a comedy central thing. You know, it, it's, uh, it, you know, it was, you know, but I have such a, um, a soft spot in my heart. Like I, I like I, you know, the guy who does, um, took over Gethard slot. Brett Davis, uh, does a show called the special without Brett Davis. They do some really funny stuff on public access. I will do anybody's public access thing whenever, when I'm yeah. in New York city, I'm just, you know, I feel, you know, you know, bonded, bonded to that for life. Well, that's, that's awesome. Cause I, th- I do think it's like, I guess YouTube is obviously the most logical inheritor of it, but yeah, we never had it really in Canada. We had like Rogers, which was very strict. Um, right. We'll let on. Yes. Yeah. We- and I guess Tom Green was like the big breakout from public yes. access in Canada, but 
You know, it's still like we didn't really have what you, you know, we didn't have people twerking in thongs with money well, being put so, in. You know, and, and there was stuff that was even years before me, like, you know, Glenn O'Brien's TV party. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people really taking advantage of, you know, the, the fact that you could, you know, the, those shows that Glenn O'Brien did were amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and like, you know, his co-host was Chris Stein. From you know, you <laughs> yeah. know, so Blondie would be on. He's in Jean Michel Basquiat, and it was like a yeah. real. That was that was like a real scene. Um, and they've released those, and there's a great documentary about it. And then you know, he he wrote for you know, interview magazine. Now he's like, a very, you know, I think he's like a style guy for GQ, and um, he's Glenn O'Brien. You know, he's like, you know, but that 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 was you know, New York City creative types using the resources that they that were available to them. And, um, and I think that yes, now because of the internet, like I think now it takes real commitment to your crazy to do a public access show. Uh, and I, you know, I've talked about that with Gethard, like to go and fill out paperwork <laughs> to like get certified to use the equipment at the studios, whereas you could just upload a video video. Like it takes like, you want to be on television, Yeah, you know, yeah, you're committed to the format. You're committed to the format of television. And um, and I think it's important. And I think that it should still be there because I think it's a great educational tool. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm worried about what what becomes a public access in New York City. Um, it, it, and, and they do live stream it. You know, you can live stream all of Manhattan Cable Access um, online. That's that's how Gethard show, you know, found sort of a nationwide audience before it moved to Fusion. And like, you know, now what I was doing was essentially I was a YouTuber vlogger or whatever. Um, but it was 1994 and we, we didn't have email, you know, we just, I, the just, we had just started emailing there. You know, I remember going to an NYU lab and somebody showing me the beastie boys website, you know, in I've, 95, you know, I've, well, I think you like, well, like, you know, you, you, you know, like you were, you know, like a, a precursor to YouTube in the same way that zines were a precursor to people on Twitter. Like, you know, it took a yes. lot more effort yeah. to do what you did than, than it does now. Like, you know, like what you did, I think that's like why, you know, it was, you know, you had a drive to do something awesome when, you know, like I'm sure like, you know, like I, I've mentioned myself, like that was my dream to do the same thing. And I think like, you know, but you did it. Yeah, but, and and it, and it was also then doing it on my own terms because yeah. you know when 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 I did sort of move the show to MTV and and I was you know it was a really interesting time at MTV in 1996 it was like you know uh, all the executives that you know had put Nirvana on the air were still there and like it was it was you know it was it was really I, I was insistent like no we're still going to film this in my bedroom we can't like and now i look back and i go that's insane <laughs> yeah. nobody could t- t- tell that's just a, a a logistical nightmare but it was very important to me that we not change because of that joke in the movie Wayne's World where they rebuilt his basement yeah. i said i'm not going to like do that they'll well, they're going to make fun of it yeah you know what i mean and like of course by the time I, you know, if, if you tell a 15, 16 year old kid, look, there's a budget to redo your bedroom, uh, for MTV, you're going to read, your kid's going to redo his bedroom. So by the time I got done with it, it looked like a set anyway. So who cares? You know, but that's how I wanted it to be, you know, (laughs) but it was really filmed in my bedroom and, 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 you know, and just, you know, doing things on your, your own terms is, you know, 
still, you know, is something that I've been, you know, missing, although I've been very, very lucky in the, in the networks and projects that I've worked on in television, like they, we've been pretty well left alone, like, you know, but like, you know, the more money you get paid for something, the more somebody's gonna have opinions and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, you know, there's a huge part of me right now that's just like, just give me like, how much should Pink Flamingos cost? $2,000. Okay. What's the, what's the equivalent of that today? That's what I want. And I'll make some weird movie and that's it. Don't give me anything else and, and more than that. But then there's also a part of me that's like, now why don't you get to work on the, uh, you know, $30 million uh, studio comedy that, you know, you could sell. You, you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of, it's a, it's a delicate balance. You know, we all have that Ian McKay sitting on the shoulder constantly. Um, yeah, a, a little bit, but you know, you know, it's, uh, I don't know who coined the term, coined the term, some friend, but, but just like, you don't want to have too much of that punk rock damage. No. Like you gotta, you gotta eat like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to get rid oh, look, I, I want to be comfortable. You know what I mean? I like a nice th- I like, I like to be able to nice things every once in a while, but I, I, you know what I mean? I want to be able to donate to things, but I don't, I don't, uh, you know what I mean? Like make a movie for like 140 million dollar transformers or something I'm, it was never it's never gonna be that was never in the cards for me in the first place yeah exactly you know what i mean nothing well, if i ever do anything that, that is that big it's, it's 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 completely by accident you know how john waters had hairspray you know well i keep hoping you're gonna get your hairspray buddy don't worry jake this has <laughs> been so. incredible man i really we didn't get very far at all in your life though no, but that my life is is been talked about. What's not been talked about is this this stuff, which is, you know, it's it's so important. And like you know, like I've listened to this show, and it's just it's so to me, it's just so interesting to hear how, you know, the counterculture, you know, affected people and how they brought it into their art. And it's just it's I think it's a great show, and and uh, and you're you're just the coolest. So thank thank you, man. This has oh. been a blast. Well, Jake, as as one fellow fought to another, uh, I, I really do appreciate that, man. As I said off the top, huge fan of your work. And this has been amazing. Come back for a part two sometime, please. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Get off my phone. <laughs>
thank you, Jake, for coming on the show. And Jake Fogelness is a worthy follow on all forms of social media, Twitter and, and Instagram and the like. And he has, you know, a lot of cool punk references on there. You know, a worthy follow for all of us, as I say. Next week on the show, and I guess Jake's going to be back for a part two. You know, he's, he promised it. And, you know, check out all the stuff he works on. As I say, Difficult People. We talked about uh, Billy on the Street. We didn't talk about it on the show. I wish I had talked to him on, about it on the show. But that's for part twos are for. Uh, what Out American Summer, as I say, Difficult People. Uh, tons of stuff. He's worked on a, a multitude of hilarious comedy projects over the years and great videos. And anyway, I, as I say. An IMDB page review could be an entire episode unto itself. But we have to move on because we are moving on to the future. So the future is I'm going back to Mexico to shoot some more of the show. Um, But I will be back next week with an incredible episode. Next week on the show, someone that I think really speaks to the effect of a lot of the ethos and ideology of punk rock and where people who are into it are able to take it and apply it to the worlds that they're interested in or the worlds that they're in and affect or, you know, hopefully, you know, cause some sort of change. And this is someone who definitely did in her industry. Next week on the show, Joanna Angel, owner of burningangel.com. And this is one of the best turned out of punks. Ever. I'm, I'm, I swear, I'm on a hot streak again. Uh, I'm not, it's never on, not on a hot streak for this show. Not because of me. Because these guests are awesome and these stories are awesome. And next week is certainly no exception. Next week on the show, Joanna talks about how, you know, the effects of DIY punk. And it's really DIY punk. We get into all this stuff on the show. Uh, led her to where she is now. And... It's an incredible episode because this is someone who connects a lot of different worlds and it is, it's great. It's really awesome. And if you're worried like, uh, you know, I'm not a big porn fan, you know, I don't want to, you know, it's turned out a punk. So it's, it's only about punk music really, but she is one of the funniest, coolest guests I've had on the show. And this is one of the coolest episodes I've gotten to do. So that is next week on the program. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I will see you next week. Oh, remember, go out there and make your own culture. Anyone can do this. And, and, and sometimes you find yourself in crazy situations because of it. So just go out there and, and do this because, you know, I'm, I'm making a TV show about professional wrestling and I'm playing in a band that just put out a live record on Third Man. And I assure you there were, and there are, many people out there that never thought that that would happen, <laughs> myself included. And so please go out there and make your own culture and believe in it, and you never know what's going to happen. Uh, I love you all, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, and, yeah, stay safe. See you next week. <laughs>